0: Welcome to Business Magic with Maggie Gila, making your business feel and work like magic for you and those you want to impact. Turns out, you don't need a wand, you need a strategy. Hey, hey, today I'm speaking to Jessica Lorimer and we're having a really, well, what I think is a really interesting conversation about pivoting in your business because she I've witnessed her Fairly significant pivots to working in general with service based entrepreneurs to now helping service based entrepreneurs sell to corporate organizations. We talk about leadership and thought leadership and what that means, as well as the fact that she has, she's an award winning podcaster but she's had two very different podcasts with two very different results. And we talk about why that is. So if you have conversations about your marketing or should I niche down or how can I pivot my messaging, my business, this is going to be a great conversation to listen to. And I find Jessica just hilarious and insightful, and she is definitely someone I admire. So hope you enjoy. All right. I'm super excited to be here with Jess Lurmer. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a bit of a while trying to get, have this conversation, but um, there's a couple of things I'm really excited to dive in with you today. One is how you've like I've seen you pivot your business in the last year or so, I would say, mm-hmm. and that's been really interesting to watch that. So I'm curious to hear about it from a first-hand perspective. It's, it's been an interesting year for sure. <laughs> I think
1: it's uh, probably defined as a little bit of insanity and a lot of fun and a lot of experimentation and a lot of saying goodbye to things that don't work and a lot of saying hello to things that may work and, and then obviously seeing that through. So it's been cool.
0: What kind of, what made you just start deciding that it's time to shift your attention away from like the online entrepreneur industry to selling to corporate? You know,
1: I came from a corporate background and I, I tell everybody, if I hadn't have had to have left, um, I had a chronic immune condition that meant in 2014 that I had to give up my job. But I always say like, if I hadn't had that, I'd still be in my job. I loved it. I loved what I did. I loved the companies that I was working with. I was working with some of the best salespeople in the business. And that was really inspiring. And I missed... I missed all of that when I started my business. I, you know, I was really fortunate to develop a strong online network um, of biz besties and of, you know, an amazing community and, and things. But I missed, I guess, qualification. And, you know, and it sounds really pretentious, but I missed the intelligent conversations that I would have in the corporate world. I missed being able to contribute to global brand strategies. Um, I missed being able to be an integral part of um, new product launches and, and seeing different things happen, different regulations hit. And when I moved into the online space, you hear the same conversations again and again and again, and actually, businesses can be very, very short-lived online. There are a lot of people that I started with in 2014 who no longer run businesses. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just became this noise, this incessant like newsfeed of everybody trying to educate me all the time like you, you can't go through your newsfeed and just be like, oh, cool. So-and-so got a new puppy. Like it's always going to be some big message and some emotional trauma and some this and some that. And it actually became really wearing. And I was seeing all these amazing people who were supremely qualified, you know, in mindset in marketing, in psychotherapy, wellness, sales, and they were selling on the newsfeed every day to people who didn't value, what they were selling. So they were having to reduce their prices. They were feeling really um, lacking in, in terms of confidence about selling their stuff. And they were being beaten effectively by competitors who were great at marketing and crappy at delivery. And I just got tired of it. And it got to 2016 when I really started seeing this issue and I became really disillusioned with it. And it took me until 2018 to publicly make the pivot. You know, this is stuff I'd been teaching. I'd been teaching my clients one-to-one and, um, privately how to sell to corporations for ever since I started my business, but it wasn't something I'd taken publicly because it wasn't, it wasn't the thing. It wasn't sexy. Right. And, and so, you know, it took me two years to be like, right, okay, I'm going to really change this and make this part of my business. And, You know, in 2018, I started seeding it more and I started getting more clients who wanted to um, sell their services to corporations. And then in 2019, I was like, right, I'm ready to finally make the big pivot. And that's when it all kicked off. (laughs) How did you find that people responded when you started pivoting? It's really interesting. Um, There there were two, well, no, there were three responses. One response was, oh my God, are you high? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, And I think that mainly came from me a little bit. And also, you know, my friends and family were like, uh, Jess, you've created this successful business. Like wh- what are you doing? Like they they watched me right in the beginning when I first started my business and I'd be up until like midnight, 2am learning things, learning how to create WordPress websites and all those stuff that you do. <laughs> I've been and I there. Think, Exactly. Right. And I, I think they were all imagining that it was going to be like that again. They were just like, Oh my God, no, please don't do that. So there was that response. And then there was the response in my community who were like, this is not an avenue that we've considered. You know, my wider audience were very much like, but we've come online to learn how to be online entrepreneurs. And and now you're going down this route and this is scary, but we're interested. Like, we don't know that it'll work for us, but we're quite open minded And then there were the people who were like, Jess, I'm so pleased that you're doing this. And I'm really excited that it lights you up, but it's not for me. And, you know, and the people who left my community, you know, on really good terms, but they were just like, this isn't, this isn't what I want to
0: do. And that was really cool. It was really, really valuable for me. Yeah. I think it's interesting when, when we're pivoting, you are going to lose people. And that's, mm. I think that's okay. It's really scary. Like, you know, when you were starting like your email marketing every time, like I was obsessed with my unsubscribers. Yeah, I was like, always looking at like the person I was like looking at their website, like, why would they unsubscribe? And now I'm like, if I see unsubscribe, I'm unsubscribe. So I'm like, cool. Yeah. I'm not for you anymore whatever, for whatever reason, that's fine. And that's the thing The people who unsubscribe,
1: they weren't going to pay you anyway. So it doesn't even matter. Like, you know, I had somebody who unsubscribed from my email list a couple of weeks ago and it was really funny because they unsubscribe with something like your emails are dull and full of no value whatsoever. Sorry to be blunt, but that's just how it is. And, and they, they went on to talk about my unsubscribe process and how, uh, air quotes difficult it is, um, to unsubscribe by like clicking a button that says, please unsubscribe me. Anyway, I laughed, and, and someone on my team was like, "Oh, Jess, we didn't want you to see this, but you know, we think it's relevant." And I was just like, "But that person has been on my list for four years. Like I'm talking about something that is so different. And if they're reading emails about selling to corporates now, it's going to be completely irrelevant to them. Like, and and they could have chosen to unsubscribe like six or seven months ago when we invited people to, but maybe they missed that." And so maybe for six or seven months, we've been really hacking them off by sending them two emails a week being like, Hey, do you know why you should sell to corporates? Here's all these reasons. Like they're not going to be valuable and that's okay. You know, and, and do I feel bad about that person? Well, no, not really, because they should have unsubscribed seven months mm. ago, but you know, equally, you have to look at the context in which things are coming up, you know, and, and then that's, that's important.
0: Do you feel like, uh, would you consider yourself sensitive to these kinds of comments?
1: I used to be. Mm -hmm. I used to be very sensitive. And, you know, I, I still, I think as human beings, we always have this predilection to remember the negative and not the positive. So I can remember every negative interaction I've had online ever. And I'm fortunate there haven't been hundreds, but you know, I will always, when I'm having a bad day, I'm like, oh my God, like I remember when that person unsubscribed my email list and they said that I didn't provide any value and, <laughs> and you you beat yourself up about it. Or I remember when that, that time when someone went in the Facebook group and and they said that they couldn't access a webinar replay and that I was out of integrity, but it just turned out they hadn't hit download. And it used to be when we hosted everything on, you know, Google Drive or, or whatever. And you always remember those because naturally our minds gravitate towards the, the negative. That, yeah. That's just humans We're relatively cynical. But I then have this thing called a smile file and it's the screenshots on, on my computer of all of the clients that I've helped and, and people who've ever written like nice things about my podcast or whatever. And I go through that and I'm like, oh wow, there are like 20,000 screenshots. I kid you not, know, there's like 22,000 in there now. Of people who've taken time out of their day to be like, "Oh, Jess, you really helped me with this," or "I really like this webinar that you did," or "I really like this piece of your book," and and so now I'm not so sensitive because I realise that the the actual amount of people who will give you feedback that is negative and actually valid is so small that there's yeah. no point in focusing on it.
0: No, I, I, I feel like we, like, I'm, I've, I've definitely been very sensitive to these things. Um, I'm, I realize I'm in general, quite like a highly sensitive person. I'm, I'm very empathetic. Like I pick up people's emotions really easily. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I have to self-protect myself. But at the same time, like, it's just looking at things logically and rationally and strategically. Someone saying, you know, Hey, I'm unsubscribing because I think your newsletter sucks. I'm like, well, but I have 10 other people who love loved that one newsletter that you said sucked. So you're not my people. That's it. like, I had someone um, email me that because I, I have this like market research workbook, I give away for free. And because I mentioned the one ring, like from Lord of the Rings in it, that that's really unprofessional and they would never work with someone like me. <laughs> and then I have people go like, oh my God, you have a unicorn in your logo and you're reading The Hop and your dog's name is Frato, I love you. I'm like, yes, hello, welcome home. Exactly. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, you're, you're gonna get it. I mean, I think
1: the, I... <sighs> I think negative feedback is just one of those things like you're going to get it if you put yourself online. Some people have way more time um, than is, is really necessary. And I think it's always interesting for me, the people who show up as uh, keyboard warriors are the ones who are not successful generally in their businesses because the people who are don't have time. To go out. Like I unsubscribe from email lists all the time. It's nothing personal. It's just because maybe that's not relevant to me right now. Maybe I didn't sign up for it. Maybe I didn't get an offer or something. And I I would never leave feedback about it unless it was, you know, someone I knew really, really well and I wanted them to know that I was going and, and for a specific reason. But I would never leave feedback because I just don't have the time. I unsubscribe, it's a business decision, not a personal one. And I think, you know, we can get really caught up as entrepreneurs in judging our self-worth by external or externally validating reasons like, oh, how many people are on my email list? How many people are paying me? How many people are doing liking my posts and and, and whatever? And the reality is that your self-worth remains the same no matter who hates your content. So you may as well just do whatever you want, produce whatever you want. And the people who like it, great. They're your people, they'll buy from you. And the people who don't like it, that's cool. It's not that anything about you as a person inherently changes because they didn't like it or they didn't get it.
0: No, and I actually struggled with this so much when I was planning this podcast because Mm -hmm. I was, um, and this is like, again, I have, I love market research. I really encourage everyone to do market research, talk to your people, gather data, do surveys. But then people go into these like massive Facebook groups and go, how do you prefer to consume content? And then 25% say writing, 25% say video and Mm -hmm. podcasting. Um, So when I was like planning my podcast, I was really like, some people said, oh, I love like short, actionable, 10 minute." recordings. And then some people go, oh, I will never listen to anything under 45 minutes because I listen to like on my commute or when I'm driving. And at one point I was like, listen, there is literally no format I can create that's going to please everyone. So I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want, which is why I settled on these like 10 minute solo episodes every week mixed with longer 30, 40 minute guest interviews or conversations like this, because this is what works for me. And the feedback has been amazing because people have said, I love the different lengths of your podcast episodes because then I can pick which one I want depending on how much time I have. And that's the thing, you know,
1: it's, I I think we spend a lot of time in the online space catering to other people's opinions. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my free content is mine. I'm the one who's creating it from the good of my own heart. So, like, if you don't like it, that's cool. Just don't listen anymore. Like, that, that doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, you know, it's me who's giving up my time and knowledge and information for free. For no other yeah. reason than because that's, you know, that's what I want to do. Because, I, I mean, I know a lot of people sit there and go, oh, but it's also to sell. Well, it's not really. But the reality is there are easier ways for me to go out and create communities and, and build audiences and sell to them. And that's why I teach selling to corporates. is actually a lot easier. You don't do any free stuff. Um, and, and that's brilliant. But in the online space, you know, I, I think people get so caught up in, they want Once you give them something for free, people can get into that habit where they want more and more and more for free for you to, I'm going to use speech growth here, but, but to prove or to justify why they should buy from you. Now I don't subscribe to that theory. I I don't I'm not going to jump through 10 hoops that you can justify your decision as to whether you later go on to invest with me or not. That's not my problem. Like and and if you have to be the person who wants more and more and more for free, it's quite likely that when you're paying me, you're going to be somebody who's going to be a pain in my ass. So I'm not going to want you to pay me because if you're demanding and you're rude and you're negative and all of this kind of thing, guess what? I don't want to work with you. I don't want you to pay me so that you you can treat me like that. Just like I'm not going to accept it for free. So I think we have to have this boundary. And we have to draw this line as business owners between what we're willing to accept and constructive feedback is something that's great to accept. If it's coming from qualified places, you know, if my clients are talking about Jess, we wish you'd done this differently. Or if, you know, my accountant is, is contributing something that is relevant, then absolutely. I'm going to listen if you're some random on the internet who just popped up one day and you decided, well, I didn't, I didn't like that you didn't give me a 10 part strategy in your latest podcast episode. Well, that's not my problem. Bob. No. Like I, I'm just not interested because contextually it, it's not constructive. It's not from a source that I deem to be qualified. So I'm not going to take that on my shoulders.
0: No, and it's, 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 it, it, it disgusts me sometimes. And I try not to focus on this, t- this part of human behavior. But, um, for example, when there were a lot of big Facebook groups that were closing down, like Melissa Griffin closed down her big Facebook group. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, 2018, late mm-hmm. 2018, I want to say, like the backlash that happened was just insane. And like, I run bosses in Europe. It's like I've about, about 1,500 people right now. I spent nine months of like, hours every single day in there growing the, you know, group and the culture and cultivating the way I wanted to. And it's like, it's my group. I am going to sell them it. I am going to be like, here's my webinar. Here's my services. Here's like, I have one spot left and d- like different people have different approaches to this. So I've, I've been part of, well, I've not really been part of debates. I've lurked at a, through debates online about how it's horrible that Facebook group owners, um, like shouldn't self-promote. I'm just like, well, you start your Facebook group and you do that for free, and you don't self promote and leave mine. That's fine. Go away. Like
1: <laughs> it, it's always interesting to me because and so I went. I went through a big pivot last year, and I ended up closing some of my free stuff. I closed a Facebook group, and I got no backlash. Wow. And yeah, and I closed, and that was probably two and two and a half thousand people, I think. So it wasn't huge by anyone's standards, but it was, you know, two and a half thousand people. And I closed a paid community. I used to run a membership, a paid membership. And in June last year, I made the decision that I would be closing that and I got no backlash. And I talked to my mentor at the time, Ali Brown. I was coaching with Ali last year. And she had prepared me. She'd been like, right, okay, people are going to take this badly. Like people are going to be quite upset potentially about your decision to, to switch your business model because it means you won't be helping them any longer. And, and people can feel quite upset about that and, and they can take it quite personally. And I didn't have that, had a really different experience. And I think it was, I think it was down to two things. One, I'm, I'm very clear on my boundaries anyway. So when people come into my communities, I'm very clear. If if you aren't happy with my rules on whatever I'm doing, then that's cool. Leave. I'm not going to debate it with you because I'm never going to change my mind. So as a result, all of my communities had kind of cultivated these places where people could debate and they could have discussion, but my rule was my rules. And so actually when I said, look, I'm changing this because it doesn't work for me anymore, people were already trained to know that once I'd made the decision, it had been something that I'd quite likely thought about for a long time and that I wanted to get right. So they knew I wasn't going to change my mind. And the other thing was that I was very transparent about how hard it had been to make the decision. You know, I went into my membership and I cried. I remember crying like on Facebook Live and I was like, look, I'm doing this this Facebook Live. And I had no intention of being emotional about it. I was very clear on exactly what I was shutting down and, and why I wasn't continuing in that way. And I remember crying because people were being so supportive. They were like, Jess, this is going to be so great for you. This is going to be such a great move. And you've been so transparent about like the changes and and how that's happening. And you really deserve to go and do this thing that you love. And I cried because I was like, I'm I'm so sad that this is what I'm leaving behind. In Mm -hmm. order to do this new thing, this is what I have to leave. And I think that, you know, often people can make the mistake of thinking, well, if I'm really direct with my audience or if I really show up and enforce my boundaries, then people will think that I'm, gonna, I'm mean and, and that I'm you know, too much and I'm too direct and I'm too firm. And actually what I found is that when you lay out those boundaries and when you are transparent about your communication, what happens is that people actually respect your decision-making a lot more and that they're really supportive of what you go on and do. Whether or not they follow you into that is, is totally different. And that's, you know, that, that's about their own journey. But I had nothing but support. When I made that pivot, and I think that's really, really rare in the I online so, space, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah I was, was very, for very fortunate good yeah, for it you. was great it was It was a really nice way to be able to make the transition, and it made it a lot easier than you know in some ways it made it a lot easier, yeah. and in other ways, it made it a lot harder because you think, well, you know you leave all these people behind and they have to fend for themselves, and you worry that they will buy from the wrong people and things, but you can't help everyone, no. You and can't. it's also out of your control. And that's the thing, you know, and, and that's kind of where I got to last June. I was like, I'm doing this because this is what I feel I have to do. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that actually there are better ways for me to serve my community, both in a different capacity and also in, in helping them and enabling them to find other ways of working or other people to follow who would be best fit for them.
0: Yeah. I love that I, I I say to my clients like or to people who inquire with me sometimes like hey I'm really not the best next step for you. Mm. Um, I work with people who already have a business up and running who have like you know you've got a website you've had a couple clients at least. Um, let's let's take this further. So for people starting from scratch, I, I normally usually say you know um, I give them some alternatives. But I think it's really interesting that. Um, I think it com- kind of comes down to what you said earlier about the free content and that mm. we've gotten really used to and entitled with how much free information we can get. I know you're friends with Janet um, Murray. Yeah. I just saw, so, she, so we're like recording this in the middle of the Corona co- COVID-19 outbreak. And she Janet has been doing like these great paid mm. masterclasses for like two years now or something like yeah. that. They're all like 50 pounds, like let's say what, 65 US dollars. It's not mm-hmm. a massive investment. And she, I think the masterclass that she was doing or is doing uh, was called like going from offline to online. And then she got, again, 40 or 50 pounds, not expensive mm-hmm. at all. So $60. And she got pushback from people going, oh, you should be doing this for free because you're now <laughs> capitalizing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, BS. <sighs> she has like, she has an entire podcast like you do just like, of like yep. all this free content. You have options. You don't have to pay her.
1: It's, it's so interesting for me because I, you know, the coronavirus is one of those things. I'm somebody who I'm not worried about the virus at all. Like, and I arguably, I should be, um, I'm asthmatic. I have a chronic immune condition. If anyone should be bothered about it and making kale broth and all this kind of stuff, I should be right up on that list, but I'm not. And there are reasons behind that. One is that obviously I'm an entrepreneur. I sit at home 99% of the time. (laughs) So actually, you know, the chances of me getting it very slim. The other thing is that I've been in business a long time. I've seen recessions. I've seen double dip recessions. I've seen, you know, complete what we call black swan business events, which is an unforeseen business event that impacts the economy negatively. So in the whole time that I've been working in business, I saw the 2008 recession, the 2011 recession, 9-11 being a huge impact on the economy. Then 2016, we saw SARS. We saw lots and lots of different things. And you know what is guaranteed? The market goes down and then the market comes back up because it has to In order for us to keep funding hospitals, in order for us to keep um, making sure that everybody can get the care that is available to them, the economy has to run. And so when people say to me, but Jess, you know, people are capitalizing on the coronavirus. There is a very, very big difference between somebody like Janet, who has years of skill helping people to create um, an online arm to their business or helping people take a service and, and make it a virtual service. And somebody who jumps on the bandwagon and says, well, yeah, but you know, this is why I've been an entrepreneur because I was waiting for coronavirus. So I could then tell you all, I told you so about working from home.
0: Which I've and, seen, and, I've seen those posts yeah, too.
1: <laughs> right. And then they capitalize it and they're like, oh, well now that you all have to work from home, you should all learn from me about my schedule. Right. Okay, let's just talk about shady stuff there. One, we have no idea if your schedule has even worked for you. We have no idea how successful that has been. And, you know, the the people who are buying up loads of hand sanitizer or buying loads of toilet rolls and trying to sell them on eBay or Amazon or whatever, those people capitalizing on a crisis and it's gross. Offering services that you already had when you've qualified in that area, when you've got a ton of free content in that area, when you've been talking about it for years, not capitalizing. It's called economical business function. And and that's how we have to start looking at it. People are taking it also personally. And I'm just like, yeah, but these are the same people, the same ones who berate Janet and anybody else that's doing, you know, that's continuing to run a business in this time period are the people who are then going, oh yeah, what could I be selling? Oh, I'm really annoyed that I didn't do that first. Great, yeah. okay, well, <laughs> because you're
0: jealous about it, that's, that's great, that's a reason to go and have a go at somebody else. No, but I think you're right with, with this is just kind of part of human nature and on some level hmm. There's always going to be someone's going to complain about your stuff. Yeah, there always like, is. There's going to be some, you know, was it, um, who said that? Was it Marilyn Monroe or Dita Fontes? I think the quote's always attributed wrong, probably. Um, I heard from Dita Fontes, you're going be the juiciest peach in the world. Yeah. There's always going to be someone who doesn't like peaches. Mm-hmm. All right. I would love to talk about your two podcasts. Mm-hmm you've had, you have two podcasts and you've had, um, I listened to your episode on that, which is fantastic about the difference in success and the number of episodes. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. So about nine months ago now, I set
1: up the selling to corporates podcast. Um, we were about at that point, 220, 200 and something episodes into the Smart Leader Cell podcast. Um, Smart Leader Cell has been going since 2017. I launched it on my birthday in 2017. Side note, very bad idea to ever launch on your birthday. Don't do that. Like (laughs) (laughs) I was walking around the zoo being like, oh my God, I hope people are listening to the podcast. And it was really, really frustrating. So uh, always launch like the day after or something. So I launched it back in 2017 and it was about sales psychology for entrepreneurs. And obviously with the pivot that I knew I wanted to take last year, when it kind of got around to June, I wanted to put out a podcast and it's my preferred medium. And I knew that I wanted to be on selling to corporates, but I didn't really know how it was going to go. So we started off with one episode a month. Um, so in June, we produced an episode, July, August, all had one episode. And the only thing that I promoted from that podcast was uh, the first ever Converting Corporates event that happened to be in November, 2019. So between June and November, we did no promotion of the Selling to Corporates podcast. Everything in my business was very much geared up to get people to listen to Smart Leader Sell. And we would promote it on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So are getting high listener numbers. And there was this poor little podcast in the background. I call it the little podcast that could. And <laughs> <laughs> we were giving it no promotion. I think I mentioned it in maybe like two emails or something when when the first episode came out. And I was like, "Look, well, if you want to go listen, go listen. And the first five episodes came out uh, before the event. And it actually, those five episodes sold £23,000 worth of tickets. So about $25,000 worth of tickets to the event. And I was like, oh, well, that's huge. in in terms of uh, you know performance it was outperforming smart leader sell on a percentage basis you know because we when we started in our first month i think we had 124 listeners or 127 listeners something like that and it was it was painful i'm i'm like looking at my other podcast like oh my god we've got so many more uh, times that and you know i i was thinking this is going to be really, really challenging. And, and, you know, especially when we are in this online space and everyone talks about numbers, I like grow a big audience, do all this stuff. And so I was panicking about it because my audience didn't want to sell to corporates. And here I was turning my entire business effectively on its head and being like, yeah, all the things I'm going to do that make me money, I'm just going to stop. And I'm going to replace with this tiny, tiny podcast. So anyway, five months later and five episodes later, it made 23,000 pounds in ticket sales. And we're now in March. And that little podcast has just had its first ever like biggest month in February, the shortest month of the year. It crossed a thousand listeners for the first yay. time in a month. And I was like, yay, this is so exciting. And and watching all of my colleagues be like, oh, Jeff, <laughs> like, oh, these numbers. But that podcast has um, produced over £170,000 worth of revenue to, to date. And it still only has, you know, this month we're we're predicted to do like 1,103 listens, um, according to my metrics guy, James. And that's really exciting because we, we talk about big numbers so often. And everyone's like, oh my God, you've got to have this huge podcast. You've got to have a huge following. And I don't. I have a podcast that's going to scrape again a thousand listens this month, which would be awesome. Uh, we're now doing two episodes a month of it. So that's that's really cool. We've taken it up from one to two episodes. We did that in January. And um, it's still the primary seller of tickets for this year's Converting Corporate event. It's the primary seller for um, the C-suite, which is is my my new signature program. And by the end of this year, we anticipate that 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 one little podcast will be making close to a million pounds in revenue. And that's huge from from a tiny, tiny podcast with a a relatively small amount of listens. It is a huge, huge undertaking. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's not something that I perhaps expected to grow quite so big until we started seeing the results of it. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's very, very different, very, very different to Smart Leader Cell. I mean, in terms of Smart Leader Cell has exponentially more listeners, you know, um, I don't even know what the percentage is because it's, it's wouldn't be my strong point to work out. But you know, when you're talking multiple tens of thousands of people listening to a podcast versus a thousand, you would, think that the sales would be very very different and and they are to a to a degree obviously when you look at it in terms of revenue it's it's different but in terms of percentages selling to corporate is actually outperforming every yeah. single time in terms of percentages of sales made and i think that you know one of the main reasons is that it obviously started very differently i was very upfront from the beginning on selling to corporate that you know i'm prepared to give 30 minutes a month to people for free. And if you want any more than that, then pay to come to an event or pay to buy the program. And obviously, you know, that's worked. I I can say that after 170 grand has been made from it. So, you know, we see that. And I think it's been really interesting because a lot of people asked me, do you think it's because you've jumped on the hot, on the new topic or you've created the new topic? And no, I, I don't think that's it. I mean, I'm also the person that's had to send out fifty-seven cease and desists in the last four months. So we we can talk about that anytime. You know, I'm getting a lot of people who are trying to copy my content and, and replicate things. And I don't think it's because of the topic. I think people would be mistaken and thinking, oh well, it's because she's talking about something that's different. And that's not it at all. The reason that it's making money is because I've A, set it up to do do that. And and I'm happy to set that boundary and enforce that boundary. And and that's been something that's been really positive. But also because it's about expertise. you know. And I I firmly believe that anyone can be passionate about anything. And we're we're seeing a lot of people who are being told, oh, no, you need to be a business coach to make money. Or you need to be a salesperson to make money. Or you need to sell money to make money. And that's not true. People can tell what you're passionate about. And people can tell what you actually are qualified to teach and what you know about. And so I think the reality is that it's not because selling to corporate is the new big thing. I think it's probably going to be really challenging for some people um, in in the next couple of months with coronavirus. However, it's very different for me to sell that because it's something that clearly I know a lot about. And clearly I've got a lot of expertise in and clearly I've got hundreds of, of clients who've worked with me on that and, and gone through proven systems and they're seeing results. It's never going to be about a hot new topic. You know, so if you sit and you listen, you think, oh, but you know, I can't create a podcast that's going to be really popular because X or Y. Well, all you've got to do is be passionate
0: about something and be genuinely knowledgeable about it. And you're going to be just fine. I completely agree with you. Like that's something I was, you know, struggling with as well with this podcast. Like am I going to be am I will I add to the noise? And then I realized like, no, these are conversations I'm having already with my mastermind at my retreats with my clients. And I want to make those conversations, my opinions, those thoughts, you know, tactics, whatever more accessible to people who haven't worked with me yet or can't come to a retreat. And I think that that applies for everyone. And it's not like you don't need a certain qualification per se, Mm. but if you have like actual, you know, life or business experience if it's something you're interested in. Because like what you mentioned, passion, I really believe, and I didn't really get this for a long time, but passion is the thing that can keep you, that can motivate you long-term in your business. That's why we talk about you having to have passion because at a certain point, like for most people, money as a concept on its own isn't going to be your core long-term driver.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people... (laughs) I think a lot of people kid themselves. Um, You know, we talk about impact a lot online. Everyone's like, I want to make a big impact. I want to help people. And that means doing it for free. I don't believe that. I really don't. I think it's doing yourself a disservice. I think that telling yourself that helping people for free is this way of you making this big impact is just keeping you feeling comfortable and feeling safe because when you tell yourself that you don't have to sell and you can justify, you know, why your business isn't making the money you want it to make, or you can justify like not having to be sleazy and and selly all the time. And the reality is that if people don't invest, they do not implement. So when we talk about all of this free content, if you look at your podcast, if you look at my podcast, I've done like 400 hours worth of podcasting. Um, Janet Murray has done like 400 episodes, um, that are all extensive. You know, I know some people out there who are producing hours and hours and hours worth of free content. The ones that I know that are happiest are the ones that are selling regularly. Because when you buy from somebody who has given you great free content, you A, know you're going to get a result because you already like their content. You already like their stuff. But B, you fund the free content for the next generation.
0: Yep. That's how it works. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, very honestly, we neither of us would have a podcast if it didn't bring us any kind of benefit at the end of the day. Not an immediate one, but even like, you know, we're both running businesses here.
1: Yeah. This is the thing. I I think there is no more time really to hide. Uh, And I think a lot of people have been able to do that for a very long time online is they've been able to hide behind. I don't want to be sleazy. I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to do this. I only want to make an impact. I only want to help people, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, we we don't have time for that anymore.
0: No, the better you can sell, the more money you can make, which means that's the, that's like the impact you can create. The more money you have, the more impact you can create. And that's the thing. I remember I saw Denise Duffield-Thomas in
1: London um, in 2016. And I was lucky enough to share the stage with her last year as a speaker at Magic Maker Life um, by, run by Nicole Sears. And I remember Denise in 2016 saying, wealthy women will change the world. And I disagree with Denise slightly because I believe that wealthy people change the world. I don't think it necessarily has to be women. And I know that women should empower women and things. But I think men get a real rough rap of it at the moment as well. You know, I think it must be very, very difficult at the moment to be a middle-class white male. Like it's, everyone hates you <laughs> at this, at this moment in time. And fair enough, men have had the glory for for many, many years. But I think if we're aiming for true equality, we we have to look at everybody being successful. And so, you know, one of the things that I really took to heart from Denise in 2016 that I talked about on the Upreneur stage in 2018 and got trolled by a woman who said that I should not have paraphrased to uh, be wealthy people should change the world. And then when I met Denise and had a conversation with her about it, I believe that, you know, we do have the capacity with wealth to change our surroundings. You know, if we look at the current coronavirus, lots of people are very, very scared, but. I look at people like Cristiano Ronaldo, who has donated all of his hotels to become temporary hospitals. And I think, isn't that amazing? Yep. You know, his the the amount of money that he's making is enabling him to save lives. Yep. And he's a footballer, he's not a doctor. So, you know, it's it's not like he's gonna be the heart surgeon or anything, but he's there and, and his wealth has enabled that. Wealth enables us to change politics, it enables us to change lives. And, you know, if you are somebody who is justifying, you know, your business in any way, shape or form, because it's not making the revenue that you want it to make, then you're, you're only hurting yourself, you know? And and that's the conclusion I think sometimes we have to come to is that, you know, if we really want to make an impact, we have to be responsible for
0: revenue. And and that has to be at the forefront of a business strategy. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's, I, I I get where people are coming from. It's scary to put yourself out there and then ask for money because people are scared. I think, especially as women, uh, mm-hmm. we struggle with this more uh than men. Obviously, I obviously I'm generalizing, this is like has been my experience because we're afraid of people like this pushback and backlash we've talked about. But in terms of, you know, giving back or allowing opportunity, I ran my get shit done retreat in Orlando, Florida fairly recently, a couple of weeks ago. And we had the capacity and financial freedom to be able to say, we are going to sponsor one person to come to this retreat for free. And we mm-hmm. were, I was able to make that as part of my launch. So it was, you know, people had to, It was part of my podcast launch process. So it. I wanted to give it to someone who actually wanted it versus like a random kind of hat to But that person, like she worked her butt off mm-hmm. and she is now working her butt off from the things that we did at that retreat. And that makes like, That is for me, like that is like a very personal impact I've been able to make because of the resources I have at this Mm -hmm. point. And that's the thing, you know,
1: when we talk about people who invest, implement, it's true that that woman invested her time, her energy into completing whatever the tasks were and things like that. And as a result, uh, she went and, and she will have implemented and she will have taken a lot away from that. When we are showing up and we're only consuming and we're not contributing, you know, and we're not investing time, money, energy, what happens is we just, we get stuck in that consumption cycle. And so nothing changes yep. for us, you know, and and I think a lot of us then build businesses that we don't actually want.
0: No. And, you know, I, I was stuck in that cycle myself for quite a while. Um, especially the first like two years of my business is a big part of why I went through a burnout because mm-hmm. at just one point I couldn't handle it. And what I'm, you know, realizing more and more is that, you need to learn how to sell in a way that feels good for you. That way that like still brings you that revenue and you're not feeling like, you know, I used to cold call. Well, I <laughs> used to. I spent two days cold calling when I started my business. Like my husband's a sales director. He made me. I cried. Like I called him after a day and a half, like crying hysterically. <laughs> I can't do this. And I realized like later on, I realized that like, that is the worst way possible for me to sell my stuff because my mm-hmm. stuff is based on trust relationships. That's not a cold calling process. You have to play to your strengths. Yeah. And I think that's the thing when
1: it comes to sales, when it comes to marketing, building your business in general, you've got to really sit down and look at what your strengths are and then look at how that plays into the wider strategy. You know, Absolutely. I pivoted my entire business on... A lot of people said to me, Oh, well, it's a whim. (laughs) Why don't you just release a course on it? Like, why don't you just release a course and and do something? And I was like, this is... (laughs) to quote Ali Brown, this is my legacy play. This isn't a whim. I'm tired of watching people fail online. I'm tired of contributing to the noise there. And I'm tired of qualified people feeling like they have to reduce their prices or feeling like they have to write all these Facebook posts or whatever it is that the, the in thing is now to do. And the reality is that for me, I would rather go all in on one thing and see it fly or massively fail, as was my option in 2019, because I knew then that I would be doing it justice. Mm. We can't expect things to work out when we refuse to be all in on the decision. And I see a lot of people who will sit back and they'll go, oh, I'm half in, right? They'll be like, ah, if this works great, if it doesn't, that's okay. And for me, pivoting my business was not about in any way being half in. It was... I am all in on this. It might be that I am staggering things um, start-wise. It might be that I don't open a Facebook group for, you know, seven months, which I didn't. But for me, there was no going back. You know, I was discontinuing rapidly the revenue from my original business. And so for me, this this arm to my business needed to make multi-six figures at least Very, very quickly, because at the end of the day, the the things that I wasn't prepared to do was to let my team down, was to say to them, well, I can't, I can't pay you because, you know, I've I've got rid of all of our other revenue and (laughs) guess what, I'm (laughs) launching this thing and it's making like 20p. Um, You know, so there were lots and lots of factors in there that made it an all-in decision. And it's it's something that is really risky. And I remember saying to Ali about it on many a call. I was like, Oh my God, if this doesn't work, like I'm fucked. What do I do? And and she was just like, Well, make it work. And and <laughs> to be honest, it was the best advice I could have had, right? Because I was like, Oh, okay, well,
0: mindset. I'll just do that. Make it work. <laughs> exactly. That's what you have to do. Jess has been absolutely amazing and very insightful. I have one last question for you. (laughs) I would love for you to issue a quest, an action step for our listeners. What is something they should do this week? I think this week and every week, um, to be fair, you should
1: be selling every single day, you know, make that your, your task, make it your quest, make it, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, the reason being is that your business without sales is just a very expensive hobby. And that's not what it deserves and it's not what you deserve. So every day, whether it's going out and creating a podcast episode where you sell as the call to action, or whether you're putting a PS in your newsletter to invite people to jump on a discovery call with you, or whether it's you're reaching out to people and and inviting them to buy an offer or something every single day you need to do one sales activity. And if you just do one every single day, you will be able to make money consistently, repeatedly, and predictably for the rest of however long that business lives. I love that. Jess, thank you so
0: much for your wisdom. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. hey hey thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe so you never miss new episodes and if you have a business bestie who needs to hear this message go share this with them see you in the next one love and magic maggie